My biggest fear would be when the first comes and I don't get the rent. I found that my tenant had dumped concrete down my toilet. Can you believe Fair Housing fined me $5,000 for that? How do you onboard your tenants? What do you do? I don't even know if I do it right. If you're a landlord, don't just rent, rent perfect. The Rent Perfect Podcast with property expert and private investigator, David Pickron. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rent Perfect Podcast. We're certainly grateful you joined us today. I'm excited today. I have got long-term friend of mine and attorney, Matt Kogelmeyer with Kogelmeyer Law Group. Matt, I appreciate you taking off the suit and tie today and kind of just kind of coming down. In fact, I'm wearing a button-down shirt today. Are you impressed with me today? I am impressed, Dave. So I really appreciate that. But Thanks this is, uh, uh, you're so welcome. You know, you're just at a status here in Arizona as an attorney of you are just the man. And I really appreciate you taking some time. I know your life's busy and I know you're in and out of court dealing with clients. So we appreciate your time here today. And I really wanted to bring you in on this topic because I think you're, you know, as as kind of vague and as in trouble as we get on the the FHA, Fair Housing Act, as specifically service animals and emotional support animals I think you have a better grasp of this than almost anybody that I know. So I really appreciate you coming in and talking about this topic with us. Well, again, today. thanks for having me. Perfect. Well, you know, um, most of our listeners, uh, maybe first-time buyers, have maybe one to ten homes. We're kind of, we don't even know, because most of us just have this criteria that just says, no pets. And sorry, we don't want the hair in our home, the peeing on the carpet, Um and we get in a lot of trouble because someone shows up and says, well, this is an emotional service animal, you know, emotional support animal or service animal. And we're like, yeah, no pets, sorry. Or, or that breed doesn't, you know, that Rottweiler isn't going to live in our home. And so we get in a lot of trouble. So I really want to talk about how we should approach when someone tells us that when we say, hey, you're approved to, to live at our property. And then they say, oh, by the way, I have an animal. Well... First of all, there's no problem with a no-pet policy. However, under federal and state law, if that pet then really is a service animal or an assistance animal, then you have to make an exception for that. In fact, when it's a service animal or an assistance animal under the Fair Housing Act, both under state and federal law, you have to treat that pet as if it's a tool. It's no longer a pet. So when you say a no-pet policy, it wouldn't apply if it's, an, if it's a service animal. And it's helping someone because of a disability. Okay, so a good way to look at it is someone says, hey, this is an emotional support animal or this is a service animal. In our heads, we need to now say this is more like a wheelchair, right, than exactly. it is an animal. That's a tool. Okay. It's no longer a pet. And if we think of it like that, it'll help us analyze what we need to do. And here's another example. Let's say you have a one pet limit. Well, you have someone that uh, applies. You approve them for occupancy, and then they tell you that they have a disability. Now, you're entitled to some information about that if it's not readily observable. So let's assume they verified that they did have a disability, and we'll talk about the definition of that in a minute. But they verify they have a disability, and they have a need for this animal. That's going to uh, help them in their everyday living, and, okay. and it's going to help them with their functions and with their activities. In that case, you must allow them to have that assistance animal okay and then if you have a one pet policy they could have one pet in addition to that okay so that's how you can distinguish those one you have a one pet policy so you can have one pet and then you could have an assistance animal 
which is not a pet, that's a tool, because you're still within your one pet policy. I just think that when you look online and, you know, when you, when you have an assistive animal, you don't have, you, you're, not, you're not required to pay any pet fee, you're not required to pay any pet rent, and there's just such this incentive to make every single animal out there an assisted animal. And, you know, as a pet owner, and I have therapy dogs, which you know I go to the hospital and visit, visit uh, patients there, and so I'm very aware of, you know, the, the different kind and types of service animals. I'm just worried that people just abuse this, and I want to really take care of the people that, that really qualify for this, but I'm always so skeptical that, that they're going to bring in a, a big old German shepherd. He's going to rip my house up. And, and, and for example, I mean, literally two months ago, I qualify someone. They're like, oh, by the way, I have an assisted pet. And I said, oh, okay, I have a no pet policy. Um, I'm going to need some kind of certificate. And they just went online and got a certificate and sent it to me. And they put me in kind of a no man's land. And then when they show up, Matt, this is a puppy in a cage that they said, oh, we can't take him out of the cage because he's too hyper and he's too wild and he runs around. And I'm like, this is your, you know, emotional service animal. So That's a, a very good point. This is an area that has been abused significantly by applicants and by residents because they found this information on the Internet. They see what they can do to avoid pet rent and pet deposit. By the same token, we don't want to uh, prevent anyone from having a service animal or an assistance animal when they truly need one. Right. If they have a disability, my goodness, you know, for all, we want them to have I, that yeah, animal. Yeah, I want to help them. We want to make it easier for them in life. Absolutely. They already have a disability. That makes it difficult for them. But people will play a game, and they will go out, and they'll try to circumvent, and they'll try to find loopholes. And one of the things that they have done is you mentioned these online certificates. You can go online and you can purchase these certificates. They'll range anywhere from $25 to $100. And you fill out a little bit of information, you send it in, and they will send you a card like this one. Okay, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see this card. Okay. And, <laughs> and so you send in a picture of your assistance animal. Which is not a dog on this card. No, okay. this is my son. <laughs> and... And so I sent this in just as an example to show that they will give a card to anyone. Right. Now, the reality is you don't have to honor these. Okay. One, it's not verification that a person has a disability. If the disability is not readily observable, for example, one that's readily observable is someone who may be having a seeing eye dog who's obviously blind or someone right. who may be in a wheelchair and doesn't have legs. Right. That's an obvious disability. But there are emotional disabilities we can't see. They need to be diagnosed. And that way, you can ask for a verification. The verification is from a healthcare provider. And the verification is going to say that this person has a disability as defined under the Fair Housing Act. That is any physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more of life's major activities. And major activities are walking, talking, breathing, self-care, working, things of that nature. And so if they have a verification that they have that disability and that they need that animal because of the disability, then they qualify. The online certificates don't go that distance. Well, you know what I notice, and I know this is a podcast for many people and you're just listening if you're not watching, is this is really qualifying, or the certificates or the card I'm holding in my hand, is qualifying the dog 
we don't really care about qualifying the dog, right? We care about qualifying the person. Well, let me let me qualify that just a little bit. Okay. Because it purports to qualify the dog. Okay. But they have no information on the dog. They don't know what kind of training the dog has. They don't know what the dog does. Okay. They don't know what my disability may or may not be. Okay. They don't ask that information. They simply say, what's your name? What kind of dog is it? What breed? Right. And where do you live? And then they give you this registered number saying that you're registered. It really doesn't prove or say anything. The Arizona Attorney General's office has said that they will not honor those certificates, that those certificates are not worth the paper they're written on. You're entitled to a verification from a health care provider to make sure that the abuse that we talked about does not go on. Okay, so I'm presented this online certificate or a card that looks like this. I say, hey, I really appreciate that but I need something from your medical provider that signs off saying you need this accommodation. Sure. You have to ask for something from their health care provider. It could be medical. Okay. It could be almost anyone that has knowledge of the disability okay. and can verify that. So can so, a, a nurse write a letter? Can a PA a, write a letter? A nurse could. A PA could. A, uh, an MD, a DO, a chiropractor. It could be a sociologist, a psychologist. It could be a family member. Okay. It could be a mother, father, brother, sister. It's very loosely defined as who is a healthcare provider. Okay. And when you receive that verification, there are sometimes you can ask for some additional information as to how do you know this person. And then when you get that information, you're entitled to take a look at it and analyze it and see whether or not they do qualify for that service or assistance animal. And there is a distinction between a service animal and an assistance animal, and we can talk about that in a little, in a little while. But, um, but you're entitled to have that information so you can make that decision. The important term here is you need to engage in the interactive process. If someone tells you they have a disability and they need a, an assistance animal, you need to make sure that you say, all right, here's your verification form. Could you have your health care provider fill that out? Okay. Don't ignore it. If you ignore someone and they're making a request, whether it be verbal or in writing, and by the way, it does not have to be in writing, okay. then you are failing to engage in the interactive process. And that in and of itself can be a violation of the Fair Housing Act. Okay. So we want to have just the attitude of just helping people get down this road. Because if it's legit, we're going to figure that out. And if it's not, maybe down the road, we're going to figure that out. But at the beginning, we don't want to rule anything out. Let's exactly. Just, let's just go down the road. Don't delay. Okay. Uh, I can relate a story to you of a case that happened here in Arizona where the manager ignored the tenant's request. There were two tenants that requested uh, assistance animals, which were both cats, for emotional support. They did not consider the demands for weeks and forced the residents to remove the cats from the premises. Well, one of the cats disappeared, and the other cat was accidentally euthanized. And when the attorney general's office got done, they fined the property management company and the owner $12,000 that was paid to the woman whose cat disappeared, okay. $65,000 to the woman whose cat was euthanized, and $100,000 to the attorney general's office. $177,000 for two cats. Because in reality... The manager did not engage in the interactive process and find out the information that was necessary to process those requests. Right. 
Okay, so let's talk about the difference between a service animal and an assistance animal and maybe the different statutes they fall under. And sure, people use those quite interchangeably, but service animals are trained to perform a certain task. For example, there's, there's a type of monkey that, you can, that a person can have, and perhaps they're a paraplegic. The monkeys are trained to open bottles, to get food, to do certain service tasks. A seeing eye dog would be a service dog, right. a service animal. They're obviously leading a person who is sight, who's impaired in their vision, and they're specially trained to perform those tasks. There are even things called hearing ear cats, believe it or not. There's all kinds of animals that are trained to do specific tasks. Those are service animals. An assistance animal is some animal that may just assist someone in their daily life. For example, an emotional support animal. They don't have any special training to be an emotional support animal. It makes a person with an emotional disability feel better and to be able to function in life. But doesn't really, Matt, not to play devil's advocate, doesn't that what every pet does for somebody is kind of gives them an emotional support? I mean, that not that why good we point. just have them is because they just make us feel good and they of course. wait for us at the door and they wag their tail and they sit up next to us at the couch. So, I mean... The difference. The difference. What's the difference? The difference is that there are some people who have an emotional impairment to where it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, that for them to function in normal everyday life. Okay. You and I, whether we had our dog or not, can function in ordinary everyday life if we don't have that emotional impairment. It's questionable, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You take your dog away, you might be a basket case, right? So, uh, but, but people with an emotional disability who need that animal... Uh, simply can't function without it. The rest of us may not be quite as happy, but we could still function in life. Right. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, so we have two. Well, first of all, here's a, here's a good time in, in this podcast to say, Matt, you're a licensed attorney in Arizona. Anything we talk about here, you know, we're talking about federal statutes, but we always want people to go to their own local attorneys just to make sure that the stuff that we're talking about in general, if there's anything we're missing in their different states around the country. so That's the key word, in general. In general. And every situation is different. These cases and decisions you make can turn on little facts. So it's important to sit down with your attorney. Tell him all of the facts, good and bad. Don't tell him just what you want him to hear. Tell him the good points. Tell him the bad points. Because it's just like going to a doctor. You need to tell them all of your symptoms what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, to them to make an appropriate diagnosis. It's the same with an attorney. If you leave out facts, that attorney won't have all the facts he needs okay. to be able to advise you correctly. So okay. go to your attorney, get the advice you need, and then you can rely on that when you've given them full disclosure. Perfect. Okay, so I'm going to shoot some questions out to you, and you're going to tell me whether I'm right or wrong, or in compliance or not in compliance, okay? Or maybe. Or, well, <laughs> you're an attorney. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, what disability do you have? Well, if you asked me that and I was an applicant, yeah, that would be an improper question. You're not entitled to know exactly what the disability is. Okay. Just that you do have a disability. That's what the verification is for. Now, I will tell you this. Oftentimes, healthcare providers will go into detail about what the disability is, but you're not asking for that. You're simply asking, do you have a disability as defined under the Act? And do you need this animal 
to assist you with that disability. Okay, so I say, hey, do you have a disability? And I'm really looking for a yes or no, right? But then you start saying, oh, yeah, so 10 years ago, when, and you start getting into your story. Do I stop you and say, hey, that's irrelevant, I don't want to know that? Or if they offer it, is that okay? If they offer it, that's fine. But okay. don't ask for it. And don't ask people if they do have a disability. Let them bring it up. Okay. If you have an application that says, do you have a disability? Take it off immediately. Okay. It's an improper question. It's not something you should ask. And if someone has a disability, it's really their duty to communicate it. Not necessarily in writing, but they need to communicate it in some manner. Okay. And we're talking about uh, emotional support animal, an assistance animal, or a service animal, which you kind of all group into the same. Um, can I ask you, um, has your dog ever bit anybody? That's a fair question because you will see people who are asking for assistive animals mm -hmm. that may be an aggressive breed, a pit bull, a German shepherd, a chow. Um, you know, there's a number of, of animals out there that are aggressive breeds, and people are concerned about that. So you do have the right to ask, does your dog have a history of aggression towards people, property, or other animals? And if they do, then you can consider that in the request as to whether or not it's reasonable. Because remember, you're making a reasonable accommodation. And no reasonable accommodation jeopardizes the health, safety, and welfare of others. If you said, I want an assistive snake, and it's a rattlesnake, and it hasn't been defanged, and it hasn't been, um, you know, surgically fixed so it did not have poison. In fact, it's a dangerous snake. It would be fair to say, no, you can't have that rattlesnake, even though you think it makes you feel better. Right. Because it it's, poses a health and safety issue to others. So no reasonable accommodation jeopardizes health, safety, and welfare. And so that's why you have the right to ask, does it have a history? Now, most applicants are going to say no. But you've done your due diligence. You've done the best you can. Typically, there's not a database which will tell you whether or not that dog right. has a history. Right. Like you can check credit or you can check a criminal background. Right. There are local areas that you can check, but they're not going to be comprehensive. Okay. So you pretty much have to take the tenant's word for it. But if that dog is then qualified as an assistive animal or a service animal, and it does show aggression towards people or other animals, bites them, attacks them in some manner, then you can basically say you need to get rid of that animal. You can get another one if you'd like, but not that animal. Okay. And, and it's, that's fair game. But you can't restrict someone because it's, an, it's a, uh, an aggressive breed. Okay. Can I ask you, what does your animal do for you? Am I allowed to ask? I'm not asking about your disability, but I'm asking about what does the animal do for you? Yes, that's a fair question. Is Why is that animal needed? Okay. It's for emotional support. It's for a physical help. It can get food from the refrigerator for me. And it can open bottles for me. It can do those types of things. So you have an understanding of what that specific assistance animal or service animal does. For example, let's say uh, you don't have a right to ask if it's obvious. Okay. There are people in wheelchairs. They have dogs that are actually their motor. They pull them around. And so if you see that happening, you don't have to ask them, one, do you have a disability? And two, right. what does that dog do? Because it's obvious. You can it's see it. It's obvious. Right. It's the things that we just can't see that we've just got to kind of, you know, ask a few more questions, but we have to ask the right questions. And I just want to reiterate, the wrong question is, what is your disability? Do not ask that question ever. That's right. going to get you in big 
travel. Don't ask, do you have a disability? Don't ask what your disability is. If they want to offer it up, that's up to them. So in, in our, my normal pet policy, I have them give me every year a veterinarian's annual checkup and vaccination records for a normal pet that they're not claiming any kind of reasonable accommodation. Can I still do that if they have a service animal? If it's a service animal or an assistance animal, you can certainly ask for vaccinations. Okay. That goes to health and safety. Okay. We give animals a rabies vaccination so it doesn't spread that disease. And that's fair game. But you would not say your assistance animal doesn't qualify because you haven't licensed it with the city. That has no direct correlation with health and safety. That's okay. simply... Between an, them and the city. That's right? between them and the city. And you're not the police on that at that point. It doesn't mean that that dog is any more dangerous or not dangerous because it's not licensed. Okay. But the vaccinations do go to health and safety, and that's, that's a fair issue. Okay. Perfect. I appreciate that. Matt, you've been wonderful. Is there anything else I'm missing that we really need to kind of cover when it comes to these service or emotional support animals? I mean, like, for example, can I have any animal there is? Can I have a big old 10-foot boa constrictor that I promise you will never get out of my house? Well, you can ask different attorneys and get different opinions on that okay. one. That's a maybe. Yeah, that's a maybe. But uh, HUD basically says it can be anything. Okay. And you have to analyze it. Does that animal constitute a health and safety issue to others or is it overly burdensome let's say you have a normal animal like a dog or a cat or a fish or some kind of a rodent a hamster something like that a gerbil um you know those are things that we look at that are typically used if you go to an animal domesticated animal that's normally in a house yeah exactly domesticated Mm -hmm. animal if someone wants to bring in bessie the cow okay into their apartment as an assistance animal HUD says you have to look at it, but you have to consider some other things. Is there a reason that animal is there? Could it be, could we use some other type of an animal like a dog? Uh, What is the effect of that animal going to be in the premises? Could it constitute a health and safety issue? And obviously we don't put cows in single family homes for obvious reasons. Right. So it's probably not going to qualify as an assistance animal, but little pigs, those little potbelly pigs, those can qualify. But you're still going to have to have a medical provider sign off and say, yes, they need this pig. So, right? Let me me make sure we're clear on that. Okay. Don't ever ask for a medical provider. Ask for a uh, a verification from your health care provider. Health care provider. Because it's much more broad than a medical provider. A medical provider denotes it might be a, a medical doctor, a doctor of osteopathy, perhaps a chiropractic physician, a physician's assistant, uh, uh, okay. a nurse practitioner, those types of of professionals. But a healthcare provider can be much more than that. So if you limit them, you're basically saying, this is what I need, and you're not giving them correct information. So we all tend to say, give me your medical doctor's verification. But be very careful about that. Qualify that, healthcare professional. Because okay. there's a broad range of healthcare professional, professionals that can qualify to give you a verification. Act courteously, promptly. Don't let it sit around. Act on it. Someone asks for an, uh, an accommodation in the form of an assistance animal or a service animal, get on it, process it, figure it out in a reasonable period of time. Because if you don't, 
Again, you're failing to engage in that interactive process. And let me add this. Even if they ask for something that you ultimately say, no, we can't do that. We don't think it's a reasonable accommodation. Don't let it end there. Seek other alternatives. That's engaging in the interactive process. Find another alternative. There may be something else that will work. So that's why you want to talk to that applicant or that resident about what else can we do to solve this issue? What else can we do to help you? This one may not work, but let's look at these alternatives. Don't stop with a no. Keep going after it. But ultimately, you could get to a no if it is just unreasonable. Ultimately, you could because perhaps the resident says, I have no other alternatives I will even consider. And the one they're suggesting may not be reasonable. But if they will not engage in the interactive process with you, then at least you've done what you can and what your requirement is under the law. Well, Matt, when you and I have a conversation, there's your perceptions and your view of the conversation. There's my perceptions and my view of the conversation, right? And then there's really what is being said here. So if I'm talking about these sensitive topics with people, would you push the recorder button on your phone and kind of protect yourself or, or... you know, in Arizona, I know we're allowed, if one person knows that, that, that we're recording, it's okay. So I would check with your state law on that. But you would you re- recommend either documenting this somehow, recording it somehow? At the very least, you want to document it. Okay. Many of us don't have recorders that we're going to push the button and record the conversation. Because oftentimes, we may only get one part of a conversation, or we may only get one of many conversations. Okay. Document those things. And you can send out confirming emails or letters to the applicant or to the resident who's asking for the accommodation. For example, assume someone says, I need an assistance animal. It's an emotional support animal. And the disability is not obvious. So you give the individual a verification form. And you say, would you please have your health care provider fill this out? Well, they leave. And let's say a week goes by and you don't hear anything from them. It's an excellent idea to contact them by email or by letter saying, listen, I gave you the verification form a week ago. I'm just following up on it to see where you're at with it. Please return it back to us as soon as possible so that we can consider your request. And so you say they can make a request to you anyway, verbally anyway, but any kind of response or any issues you recommend, email, get it in writing so we have something. And the reason I say that, is because later on, if they do make a fair housing complaint and they say, I returned that verification and they did nothing with it, right? and they failed to engage in the interactive process, you have something in your file to show you didn't receive it. And then when you bring it back, give it to this individual. Give it to me so I can consider it. Now you've at least got a record that you followed up with it and they had not given it to you. So if they claim they had given it to you, you at least have some defense there. Uh, that's just great information. That just helps us out so much. I really appreciate that. I just want to review with our Rent Nation out there, Rent Perfect Nation. Guys, never ask if someone – you can ask if they have a disability. You can't ask what the disability is. Never charge pet rent or any pet fees if you're dealing with a surface or assisted animal. Document, 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 and use the email as much as possible. They can make a recommendation verbally, but you can follow up with it and get it in writing It'll protect you if, if you try to go through all those accommodations and eventually the answer is no, which hopefully you find that accommodation. You find a great renter. They live there for five years. People with disabilities don't usually move a whole lot. If you can... They limit it. Yeah. But let, me, let me clarify one thing. Do not ask them if they have a disability. Let them bring it up. Okay, let them bring it up. Yep, do, do not ask them in an application. Do not ask them in a personal interview. 
And I what, was thinking if they said, hey, I have a dog, you know. Then don't go there. Unless okay. they say they have a disability, you don't want to go there. Okay, perfect. Yeah. There you go. That's why we have Matt on board, and we certainly appreciate it. Matt, thanks for coming out today. Well, thanks for having me. been wonderful. Well, guys, you heard how do you deal with someone who comes into your property that says, hey, I've got a dog. And it's whether it's at the beginning or if you catch them three months in and, and you catch them that there's an unauthorized dog, they can still go through this whole process at any time during your their tenancy with you. So it's just not at the beginning we're talking about. We're talking about anytime you're dealing with somebody and a service animal. Matt, thanks again. And until next time, continue to ramp perfect.